0: Chapter seven of Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Jennifer Reynolds. Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp by Anne Row Carr. Chapter seven A Vista Of New Fortunes Nan said nothing to Bess Harley, her particular chum and confidant, about the wonderful letter that had come from Scotland although momsey and nan talked the legacy over intimately that saturday afternoon and planned what they would really do with some of the money when their ship came in the young girl knew that the matter was not to be discussed outside of the family circle not even the hope nan now cherished of accompanying her chum to lakeview hall when the next school year opened was divulged when the two girls were together on sunday or on the days that immediately followed Nan Sherwood went about her household and school tasks in a sort of waking dream. Imagination was continually weaving pictures in her mind of what might happen if the vista of new fortunes that had opened before the little family in the Amity Street cottage really came true. Papa Sherwood's first reports on the matter of the Scotch legacy were not inspiring. "'Mr. Bloodsoe says we'd better go slow,' he said seriously." mr bludsoe was a lawyer of high repute in tilbury this letter may be written by an attorney in edinburgh but there are rascally lawyers there as well as elsewhere bludsoe had correspondence in london they may be able to inform him regarding the firm of solicitors kellam and blake if the firm really is entered at the scotch bar oh but won't that mean delay murmured nan meanwhile said her father smiling at her impatience we will prepare the papers identifying your dear mother, so that if this wonderful new fortune should be a reality, we can put in a proper claim for it. Just the same, he added to his wife when Nan had left the room, I have written to that machine shop boss in Chicago, that I am ready to come to work any day he may send for me. Oh, Robert, gasped the little lady, won't you believe— Like the darky who was asked if he believed the world was round, and said ah believes it, but ah ain't dead show of it? I presume this great fortune is possible, Jessie, but I haven't perfect and abiding faith in its existence for us, said her husband. But Momsy had just that quality of faith. She went singing about her household tasks, and her usual smile beamed quite beatific so said dr christian who stepped in to see her as was his custom every few days what's this what's this the old medical practitioner demanded of mr sherwood on the porch where he usually made his report and to which nan often stole to listen openly to them discuss her mother's case i find her in a state of happy excitement and that's quite right robert quite right if the hopes that are the wellspring of it are not quenched What does it mean? Have you arranged the sea voyage, I advised? Papa Sherwood's face changed suddenly. He looked oddly, Nan thought, at the doctor. I don't know, but that is it, Doc, he said. That sea voyage may be in the offing. Best thing that could happen to her. Best thing that could happen to her, declared the old physician with emphasis as he stumped away. Nan wondered what that could mean. A sea voyage for Momsy? Of course, for all of them. She could not imagine Momsey going anywhere without her and Papa Sherwood. She knew she was not to say anything about what she heard pass between her father and the doctor on the porch. Indeed, Nan was no bearer of tales in any event. But she was very curious. The steam from the cauldron of mystery seldom arose in the little dwelling in Amity, save about Christmas-time or just previous to Nan's birthday. But Papa Sherwood certainly was enigmatical, and Momsie was mysteriously happy, as Dr. Christian had said. "'And we'll put steam heat in the little house. You know, Robert, we've always wanted to,' Nan's mother suddenly said one evening as they all sat around the reading-lamp, and quite apropos of nothing at all. Then she laughed, flushing prettily. "'There! You see what my mind runs on. I really can't help it. It was only a day or two later that the second letter came from memphis mr adair mackenzie had returned from mexico and evidently one of the first duties he performed was to write his cousin jesse his congratulations a letter on quite another matter this epistle read from our distant kinsman andrew blake of kellam and blake apprised me that the ancient hugh blake steward to the lairds of embrum for so many years was dead and that his property was willed to your father, whose appearance as a lad at Emberon pleased the old man greatly. You are to be congratulated. The estate is considerable, I understand. Your husband's troubles, which are mentioned in your letter that I found awaiting my return, will now be over. For although Andrew Blake intimates that there may be considerable opposition in the courts there, over the money going to an American heir, you will be able— in the end, to establish your rights. Believe me, my dear Jessie, I know of nobody in our family to whom I would rather see fortune come than to yourself and your dear ones. If I can be of any assistance, financially or otherwise, in helping you obtain your rights in this event, believe me, I stand ready to give such aid. Do not hesitate to call upon me. My regards to your husband and little girl, whom I have never seen." Alice and John join me in expressing our good wishes for your happy future. I remain, with the old love I always had for you, your cousin Adair Mackenzie. Now, Robert, what do you have to say? cried Momsy triumphantly, while Nan danced a fandango around the room. This much, replied her husband, smiling. Our minds are relieved on one point, at least. Kellerman and Blake are respectable attorneys. But— "'We'll send our communication to Mr. Blake at once, "'without waiting for Mr. Bloodso's inquiries to bear fruit. "'Your cousin Adair knows the Scotch firm, "'and of course vouches for their trustworthiness. "'Dear me, Papa Sherwood, you are so practical,' sighed Nan. "'She meant vexing. "'They were interchangeable terms to her mind at this exciting point. "'Can't you work up any enthusiasm over Mumsy's wonderful fortune? "'Its existence is established.' It would seem beyond peradventure, said Mr. Sherwood dryly. But our attempt to obtain the fortune is not yet begun. Why, squealed Nan, you don't really suppose anybody will try to keep Momsy from getting it? Exactly that, said her father. The Blakes are widely scattered clan. There are probably a number of people as close and blood-tied to the old man who has just died as your mother, my dear. These people may all bob up one after another, to dispute Momsey's claim. "'But dear me!' gasped Anne. "'The money was willed to Momsey. Nevertheless, these other relatives, if there be such, can keep Momsey out of the enjoyment of her rights for a long time. Court processes are slow, and especially so, I should judge, among the canny and careful Scotch. I think we would better leave it to the lawyers to settle. We cannot hasten the courts by worrying over the fortune.' I think, pursued Papa Sherwood judiciously, that instead of spending our time discussing and dreaming of the fortune in Scotland, we would better go right on with our tasks, here as though there were really no fortune at all. "'Oh, my!' whispered Nan, her eyes clouding. "'That's because of my last fortnightly report. I know I fell behind in history and rhetoric.' "'Don't be too hard on us, Papa Sherwood,' said Momsey brightly. "'Anticipation is more than half of every pleasure.' i lie awake every night and spend this great fortune of ours to the very last penny of course the little lady added with more gravity i wouldn't really spend fifty thousand dollars so recklessly as i do in my mind but i can found schools and hospitals and educate nan and give you papa sherwood a great big business and buy two automobiles and enough enough cried mr sherwood in mock seriousness You are a born spendthrift, Mumsy. That you have had no chance to really be one thus far will only make your case more serious when you have this legacy in your possession. Two automobiles, no less. But I want you both, my dears, to bear one very important fact in mind. Roughly estimated, the fortune is ten thousand pounds. To be exact, it may be a good deal less at the start. Then, after the lawyers— "'and the courts get through with the will and all. "'The remainder that dribbles into your pocket, Mumsy, "'may be a very small part of ten thousand pounds.' "'Oh, how horrid, Papa Sherwood!' cried Nan. "'We won't listen to him, will we, Mumsy?' "'Oh, yes, we will,' her mother said quietly, but smiling. "'But we will still believe that the world is good "'and that God has given us great good fortune. "'Papa talks very sensibly, but I know that there is nothing to fear.' We are going to be very well off for the rest of our lives, and I cannot be thankful enough for it. At that, Mr. Sherwood literally threw up his hands. Nevertheless, he said, I expect to go to Chicago next Monday to begin work in the machine shop. The boss writes me that I can come at that time. I will get your clothes ready for you, Robert, said Mumsy calmly. Perhaps you will feel better in your mind if you keep busy during this time of waiting." End of chapter 7 Recorded by Jennifer Reynolds